Last time on Improv Tabletop, our new trio of heroes, Tigger of Winnie the Pooh fame, Ari, short for Ariel of The Little Mermaid fame, and Moby Dick of Moby Dick fame, teamed up with Dexter Douglas of Freakazoid fame, trying to figure out what was going on in this weird library. They'd found themselves inside the book Moby Dick, being accosted by Captain Ahab and his new friend Dr. Frankenstein on a very souped-up ship, which I did discover is called the Pequod. And I'm not surprised that I forgot it. But as this <laughs> combat went on, things got pretty crazy for our heroes. There was attempts at chloroforming. There was drownings of sailors. There was the loss of Tigger's innocence as he discovered death for the first time. <laughs> but after much great travail, they finally managed to, with a very, very uh, well thought out fourth wall breaking from Tigger, managed to slam the book shut on their enemies and found themselves no more in the open ocean, but in the Hundred Acre Woods on a very misty day. It seems that something strange is going on here in the Hundred Acre Wood. And so, as our characters are taking a little moment of rest in Pooh's home under the name of Sanders, they begin to plan for what they're going to do next. What is that going to be? Let's find out here in the world of the Illiterates. What's shaking, everybody? You're listening to Improv Tabletop, the Fate RPG actual play where we make up everything on the spot. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and today I'm joined by... Connor Wood, origami critic. Caleb Anderton, theater nerd. And Thomas Brower, son of a dentist. Wow. <laughs> so, we pick up here, like I just mentioned, in Pooh's little home under the tree. Uh, you're enjoying a nice little snack of honey before trying to figure out what weird stuff is going on out there. There was the howling of some spookables that you heard uh, right before we closed off last episode. But uh, there's some interesting stuff going on with these characters that I personally am very interested in figuring out. So, Moby Dick, why are you trying to turn yourself into, like, a highfalutin man about town? What is going on in Moby Dick's life? Well, I've got pretty lonely on the sea there, and as a result, when I found people, when I found company, and I... I wanted to feel welcomed. I wanted to feel a part of things as they were, and I found that the way to do that is just to act like you belong. And so I would bump up against ships, and uh, to I found that you just have to fake it till you make it. So uh, I found that to be fairly successful, with a few drastic negative experiences, as with Captain Ahab. But mm. for the most part, I found myself in a wonderful social setting as... As I find myself in the Hundred Acre Wood at this moment. So Captain Ahab was not your first run-in with humans then? Uh, no, but he was definitely the worst. Yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking, like, if Captain Ahab is the first human that Moby Dick meets, it's like as the harpoon enters your flesh, just like, oh, what is this feeling of companionship? <laughs> this is not pleasant at all. <laughs> Makes sense that uh, they wouldn't have been your first encounter. Maybe it was like a nice pleasure cruise, a nice Alaskan group of tourists or something. But, uh... <laughs> But yeah, now we've got Moby Dick here in the Hundred Acre Wood, being all himself, living his best life. 
Now, Ari, what on earth is going on in your life? You talked about it a little bit uh, during our character creation process, but what's the stuff going through Ari's mind at this very transformative point in her life? Oh, man. There's that stuff with Bradicus at school, and then my sisters being totally elitist, and then there's the Civil War. Mm. So, like, a lot of stuff is kind of going wrong right now. I'm, I'm kind of glad... Honestly, that I got to just like get out of the kingdom for a little bit and hang out with these guys because a lot of this seems really unimportant to me because I'm not sure if it's real. But I do think that I can smell evil on the wind and I really like this bear's honey. So I'm going to stick around for a little while and see if I can uh, maybe do something besides rob people for a bit. I, I think my dad would say that's constructive. Mm, yeah, it's always good to try new things out and see how it feels. I think so, yeah. And Tigger, you are back in a familiar place, but a place that has changed somewhat. And having experienced some things that you have never experienced before, uh, what is Tigger experiencing now? Well, let me hand it to you. This is pretty weird. It's been a weird day, but it's nothing that a Tigger like myself can't handle. Of course, we Tigger, they're the hero types. If there's anybody who needs some helping, Tigger, they're the ones to do it every time. Mm -hmm. So as you guys, as you finish munching your early luncheon and start <laughs> getting ready to head out into the woods to see what's going on, uh, like we alluded to, there are some weird things going on with the Hundred Acre Woods, and it sounds to me like it's time to make some situation aspects. So, let's start with Tigger. You being the most familiar person with this place, what is something you notice about the Hundred Acre Wood that is just off? Something that's very different. Looking around at all the little woodland creatures, like the birds, and the bees, and the bugs. It seems that since I was here last, they've all grown fangs. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to get a little poetic with this, and we're going to call this aspect nature's red in tooth and in claw, <laughs> oh, cool. which I can't remember where that term originates from, but it's quoted in the They Might Be Giants song. Um, but yeah, go ahead and roll to create an advantage unmodified against a difficulty of zero, and we'll see how advantageous that is for you. There's a flat zero, my friend. Ooh, that is a tie, meaning that nature's red in tooth and in claw is only going to be a boost. It can only be used once, and then it will disappear. Interesting. I'm not sure these bugs and bees and birds and stuff looks very friendly, you know, but uh, maybe they'll help us out. Indeed. Maybe you can use that to your advantage. Uh, Moby Dick, since you're still not, like, entirely inside Pooh's home because you don't exactly fit. Absolutely not, yeah. <laughs> you got a pretty good view on what's happening outside in the woods. Uh, what does Moby Dick notice that is just really unusual? Well, obviously, uh, in addition to all the fanged little creatures floating around, as Tigger pointed out... I'm actually, I feel a little bit at home because I just sense the very thick rolling fog just creeping around the ground and I feel like it's early morning in, in the ocean and I, th so there's a very thick layer of fog on the ground um, and it's it smells, mm, oh my, it smells quite funny. Hmm. So another reference, we're just going to call this one fog as thick as peanut butter. <laughs> that, that's what it smells like. <laughs> and uh, go ahead and roll to create an advantage unmodified against a difficulty of zero. 
Mm, well, that's a negative one. Ooh. Ooh. So that is not incredibly advantageous for you guys. That means that your opponents are going to get a free invocation on this fog. Golly. Mm, peanut butter. <laughs> I think Tiggers might be allergic to peanut butter, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm allergic to insulin. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough, buddy. Yeah, I'm a mermaid. It's pretty rough. <laughs> and Ari, what do you notice that's going on weird outside? You gotta save us, Ari. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I'm I'm hearing some uh, some singing off in these different directions deep within the fog. Mm. And it's giving me mixed feelings because I kind of like it. Very interesting. I'm going to call this aspect Dance Macabre. Ooh. Go ahead and roll to create an advantage. All right. That's a negative one, my guys. Oh, dear. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, somebody has been preparing well for whatever's going to happen in this forest, and it's not you guys. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's really spooky. Yeah, it's very spooky, uh, even though it's not Halloween quite yet. But, well, I mean, it's it's halfway through September as you are listening to this, dear listener. Uh, uh, so, I mean, it's basically Halloween already. Halloween Eve, at least. Now that we've got kind of a sense of what's going on out in those weird old woods, what would you guys like to investigate first? I remember one such a time when it was very foggy and myself and old Long Ears and Pooh Bear and Piglet got lost in the fog. And we tried to find a sand pit. And I think that maybe if we go check out this sand pit... We might see if there's anything weird about it going on there. Sandpit, that sounds, yeah, just like textbook ominous. I mean, that's going to have something going on. Probably. And uh, at this point, you see, uh, uh, I'm definitely eating the honey that I've somehow been able to slap onto my little thin <laughs> as I like, very Pooh Bear-like, I'm scooping it out of the tree. But Moby Dick's a little pensive. He's a little, maybe not pensive is not the word. He's a little sheepish is what he would say. He'd be like, oh, well, uh, absolutely. Let's uh, carry on, shall we? <laughs> Uh, hmm, I'm, I want to dig into Moby Dick's psyche just a little more. He seems more afraid than everybody else here. Mm -hmm. What is Moby Dick so afraid of right now? Well, Moby Dick definitely just saw his mortality flash before his eyes, and uh, that's the closest Ahab has ever gotten to claiming Moby Dick's life. And with him teaming up with uh, Dr. Frankenstein and seeing the contraptions with hands on it and even using his special ability to slink away and being able to defend, he still was wounded quite mortally from that. So he's really shook up about it. So kind of understandable some of the hesitancy here, but Tigger being very headstrong and not understanding the concept of fear, I suppose you kind of lead out in search of the sandy pit. Absolutely. Follow me, my friends. Just bounce along if you can. You got the wrong crowd for that, but we'll slither or whatever it is we've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to follow. I've been known to be a follower, of course. <laughs> All right. So we'll say, Tigger, since you are leading, go ahead and roll to overcome with clever to see if you can find your way back. Tigger, they're not the cleverest, but that's still a plus three. Right, yeah. So you remember the last time you were stuck in the fog, all the times that you found yourself just going around in circles, and you, you've got it figured out at this point how to keep going in a strict direction. So eventually you do make it back to that sandy pit, and as you get closer to the sandy pit, you haven't reached it quite yet, 
but Tigger, you can tell that it's very close. As you've been getting closer, that odd singing has been getting louder and louder. All right, you guys, we're pretty close. I think it's best if we all stay quiet. You got a good brain on you, Tigger. I'm gonna buy, I think you're right. Also, this thing is giving me the heebie-jeebums. Yeah, it wasn't like this before. This is definitely some strange stuff going on in the 100 acres. Uh, Ned, what type of music is this? Uh, it is kind of an operatic male tenor that you're hearing. Oh, man. Tenor, maybe baritone-ish. Okay. As we start getting closer with my two fries short of a Happy Meal, even <laughs> trying to be a little bit quiet here, I puff up my chest a little bit, I fix my top hat, and I straighten my tuxedo, and with my cane, I try to quietly follow after them, but I've got a little bit of a strut, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded of some nights out on the town, so I, I follow closely behind, but in the back. All right, go ahead and roll to overcome with Sneaky. That's a plus one. All right. So as you guys are getting closer, uh, Moby Dick, you remember some of your Fosse dance training moving a little <laughs> bit more stealthily. And so uh, you're able to keep yourself from making any significant noise as you're moving through. And the closer you get, the more that you can hear the words of the music. And uh, I definitely misnamed this aspect earlier. I'm going to do something I haven't done before and just rename it. I'm going to change it to the music of the night <laughs> because that is what you are hearing as you get closer to the Sandy Pit. Oh, awesome. That's the song? Yes. Mm. And accompanying the music of the night is the sound of a shovel in sand. Mm. Totally natural. Guys, this is giving my fins the willies, if you know what I mean. I mean, it might not be so bad. I mean, did you ever see Hamlet? Ever read that one? The Gravedigger, the pretty nice guy. Huh. I can't read. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Let's go meet him. All right. Do you guys want to meet him without drawing attention to yourselves or just go in and uh, make yourselves known? Well, my friends seem to be very cautious about this and really uh, definitely frightened. And although I'm uh, I'm shook from my previous experience and not the smartest uh, fry in the box, I, I suggest, <laughs> oh, well, perhaps I can present myself to them and you can watch in the bushes and I can... You can be the backup, if you will, and I will assess what's going on well, without giving away your position here. We'll watch your dorsal fin. Yeah, we got your back, buddy. Stripes or no? Come on, everybody. Hide down in these bushity bushes here. With a bit of pride in my chest, um, I puff it up, uh, knowing my friends have got my back, and I, uh, I li I'm going to meander closer to the singing and towards the shoveling, humming the same tune, um, as I'm sure I've heard it on repeat a little bit here as we've been walking through the forest. Um, so I walk closer. All right. And as you get to the edge, it's kind of an embankment that goes down into the sandy pit itself. And as you peer up over the top of it, you see a figure down there in the bottom digging a hole in the side of the sandy pit as if trying to uncover something. Looks like he's made quite a bit of progress wearing very similarly to your own, a well-tailored suit, very operatic in nature. But what is unusual is as he lifts his head to wipe the sweat from his brow, you notice that one half of his face is entirely obscured by a white mask. Um, I immediately feel that I'm in the right crowd. And uh, <laughs> him seeing the tux on him, 
Seeing the tux on me, I'm like, oh, masquerade. I pull out one of my pocket masquerade, like, uh, masks on a stick, and I just start waltzing down into the sandpit. Oh, yeah, of course. I go, hmm, my good man. It's quite a ditty that you've been singing there. <laughs> Don't like to brag, but I'm a bit of a operatic uh, aficionado myself. <laughs> and he leaps and turns towards you, dropping the shovel. And as he surveys you, he s sings out, well, what are you doing here? I was told that no one else would be drawing near. <laughs> I will invoke my I like to show off aspect and I will start singing back at him. <laughs> oh no! Do at this phantom, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead and roll to overcome with flashy. Uh, he's going to try and see if he can recognize you through that mask by rolling with clever. I mean, the mask is really good at obscuring my face, my tiny <laughs> eyes that are directly opposite of each other. <laughs> oh no, okay. Okay, hold on. Well, that's still a plus three. Ah, oh, man, the Phantom of the Opera only rolled plus two, so he does not recognize you through the mask. <laughs> <laughs> and what did he sing? What did he sing, Ned? Well, what are you doing here? I was told that no one else would be drawing near. So, uh, in response to this, without skipping uh, too much of a beat, uh, I'm taking it back a little bit and go, Well, what did you expect? I'm here to help you. <laughs> and I start walking closer to the hole that he's digging in the side of this a sand pit here. And not having recognized you, he says, Very well, I could use a hand. There are things that happening that are very bad. If we do not watch out for the heroes, there are people following us. And we need to avoid them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tigger. I think he's buying it. I think so too. Man, what a showman. What a splendiferous boy up there. Yeah, he's the greatest. But yeah, as you continue digging through the sand, eventually your shovels hit something very solid. And the phantom says, We found the entrance. Let us uncover it fully. So we may enter into the... And I hold my fin out towards him as I'm holding the note, <laughs> expecting him to, like, finish the lyric. The private headquarters. Yes, of course, the private headquarters of our master. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you continue digging, and eventually you uncover a surprisingly ornate-looking wooden door built into the side of this hill. Even though it's been buried under this wet sand for quite some time, it's very well carved on the front out of what appears to be like a very beautiful wenge wood or something. And it's got motifs on there of bats, just a whole bunch of bats. That is incredibly comforting. Uh, okay, uh, so I bring my fin to the door and I like start to like, I lean closer and I start to like touch the edges of the door, like uh, kind of in awe. And I go, after days and days of traveling across the mighty sea, I'm finally here to meet the king. Like as a question mark, kind of, at the end. <laughs> the king of darkness, our ruler, the one who's behind all this nasty stuff happening to the libraries. Ah, uh, yes, of course, how could I easily forget? And as this is all going on, I'm like trying to slowly like 
turn. You know that moment where like you have the mask that you're holding because I'm still holding the stick masquerade mask in front of me, and uh, <laughs> I, I, the mask doesn't move, but my head just like turns to the direction of like Tigger and 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 just like panic is on my face as I look over at them, and I just slowly start to shake my head like with just utter fear and terror on my eyes. <laughs> in my eyes. I'm giving the thumbs up. We're doing this. <laughs> Me too. And my fin's like pointing down and a thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a thumbs up with two hands and my tail. <laughs> you got this, buddy. And the phantom reaches out and clasps the handle of the door and opens it up. And as it opens, there's a creaking noise and you can hear it like the noise reverberating down this very long tunnel on the other side. And as it opens up all the way, he looks in and he pulls out uh, what appears to be a torch and a little matchbox and he lights the match and holds it in there. And as he does, begins peering down, there is a rush of wind and this squeaking noise and a massive swarm of bats just comes bursting out of the tunnel and flies past you guys off into the sky. I mean, I'm terrified. Uh, I, I, I spurt some excess water out of my spout just into the air. I, I'm quite afraid for sure. Um, but my thin knees are knocking together as I'm trying to courageously stand there and make up for the failure of putting my friends in danger a previous time and trying to help them out this time so that they don't get put into danger again. And the spout catches one of the bats as it's flying past and it's just like soaked and falls to the ground <laughs> and it hits the ground and it looks up at you just like annoyed as all get out as it's wringing water out of its wings. <laughs> and the Phantom of the Opera says, fear not my incontinent friend, our journey is soon at its end. <laughs> <laughs> oh joyous day! Oh joyous day! <laughs> and um, I, I, I just say, allow me to collect my things. Of course. One moment. And I just like slowly, but like not. No, I don't slowly. Nope. Not nothing slow about it. Just quickly waddle backwards to where he doesn't see the back of me. He's only looking at the mask. And I go back towards my friends and let him know what's going on here. And uh, as I gather my things, I rush off to them and I go, "Oh my goodness! I mean, oh, oh my goodness! Um, <clears throat> I believe there is a the leader behind all of this in the hundred acre wood down in that pit. Nice with all of the bats and um, it's." quite a big thing that seems to be occurring right now, but he thinks I'm on his side. You did it, Moby. That's perfect. Oh, man, you got us in so easily. Yes. Ooh, look uh, at you, you master of disguise, you. Well, <laughs> just let's not get carried away here. I mean, I am, uh, I, I have been known to wear many faces, but but, 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 but the point is, uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to use this? So, I mean, what, what are we doing with all of this? I'm terrified fight here. Well, that's easy. Didn't she say the guy in charge was in there or something like that? Well, uh, yes. Yes. Yes, he did. We we kill him. <laughs> we put him in the ground. We stop him from doing what he's doing and what he will ever do again by ending his life. Look. And I pull out this shiny, intricate fork and I say, this is the kind of thing we could use to do it with. We simply stop the bad guy and don't consider the moral consequences. And I turn to Freakazoid and I go, and you're all right with all of this. And uh, Freakazoid says, 
Well, you know, me and uh, Professor Heine, he's a monster specialist, a monster researcher, and we've worked together in the past, so I know a thing or two about monsters. All right. Yeah. Uh, the solution is incredibly simple. Yes. All right. Here's what I say. We pull the old switcheroo. He trusts you, Mr. Moby. So here's what we got to do. All of us approach him, stacked on top of each other, and in your tuxedo. Thereby, the rest of us get in, and he thinks we're you. That's awesome. Nothing could go wrong with that. Brilliant. So I'll stand on top of Tigger, and all of us will stand on top of, uh, Freak... Is is that? I think Ari's got to be at the bottom because she's got the fins. Ah, yes. I do got the fins. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, do. I have been known to got the fins. That's fair. I would <laughs> like to volunteer myself for the uh, if there's a stabbing portion to the rest of this mission. I will commandeer that. I've been t- wanting to try the right thing and also do what I'm already good at, and this feels like a good compromise. I mean, I think that you. <laughs> this is a job best suited for you, Ari. <sighs> I think. I mean just seeing you on the boat I mean you were incredible thank you five stars if I were to rate your performance <laughs> and I think this is just right up your talent tree there thank you dude my daddy's gonna be so proud of me and Chatticus is gonna think this is so cool this is honestly like one of the best things that could have happened to me this week so I'm glad we're doing this guys so you all you stack up on top of each other all <laughs> <laughs> like, you're, like you're a bunch of teenagers trying to get into a, an R-rated movie <laughs> in Moby Dick's tuxedo. Yeah. And as you begin approaching the doorway, uh, you notice that the Phantom of the Opera is actually not there anymore, but there is a sheet of paper that has been tacked to the door. Mm. Can anyone read? <laughs> <laughs> as, as you both look at me, I like go... And then I just look down in disgrace, like, and just start shaking my head. No, no, I can't read. Freakazoid. And Freakazoid says, well, I have the entirety of the internet in my brain, so I know a lot of words that I don't even want to know. I'll read this for you. (laughs) And so he pulls it off of the door, and you see it's written on, like, a blank sheet of music. Like, there's musical staffs on there. And it's written as if it is, like, a piece of music. Like, the words are split up into syllables with notes and everything (laughs) and this guy commits and the note reads i was just so excited that i could not wait for you but hurry quick so you can meet our undead master too sign the phantom Ah, that little bit there, that's his, uh, his, his composition signature, you can tell, because mm. uh, of this, it's, just, sorry, we don't have time for this. Yes, the part where it says, signed the Phantom, that, yeah, I, I see what you're talking about there. It might be a calling <laughs> card. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know it now, maybe we could fake his musical signature later. Very clever of you, stripity one. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, is there another torch here? Uh, there's not one readily, like, there's not just one, like, sticking in the ground or anything. The phantom pulled his torch out of his cloak. Uh, but you're in a forest, so it shouldn't be too hard to find a stick that'll burn nice for you. All right, I think we need to begin a forest fire, and then... Whoa now, buddy! That... Slow down! <laughs> Let's start with a single stick, shall we? Oh, and then we take it from tree to tree to tree. Okay, I understand. <laughs> you, you, you lead the way there, Tigger. <laughs> I will bounce up and grab a good-sized branch and bust it off so that we can have a torch. All right. So you grab this branch. It's easy enough to break it off. 
And I mean, I'm sure that Ari probably has some sort of supplies that might be used for arson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tinderbox. Of course. <laughs> Flint and steel, like all of the above. Yeah. If you're trying to light fires underwater, you got to have some really good fire lighting implements. It's like magnesium. Oh, yeah. Alchemical <laughs> fire, you know. Yeah. I got that good stuff. Yeah. So you pull out a little jar of thermite and pour it on the end of the stick there and light it up. And it burns very, very brightly. And as you peer down the tunnel, you can see it just extends far beyond the visible light that's being shed by the torch. Uh, I lead the way, holding the tree branch, confused at why we only have one, but just going with it. <laughs> All right. And as you're continuing down this tunnel, uh, you're going for quite a distance before you eventually come to what appears to be a cavern of sorts. And at the other side of the cavern is another door. This one has a big old lock on the front of it. And seated on the ground before this doorway is a little stone statue of some sort of imp. Hmm. Is that a little gargoyle? Is that a gargoyle? Looks like it might be a little gargoyle. Does anybody have something to throw at it to see if it's alive? Well, I have my walking cane and my masquerade mask, but I'll probably need this later for the infiltration. You're right. <laughs> I can toss my walking cane. Yeah, get him. I chuck it. All right. Yeah, roll to attack with forceful. <laughs> the idea was more to see if it was alive, but <laughs> kill him. <laughs> I got a zero. Well, the gargoyle dodges with quick getting a plus one. It leaps over the cane, and when it lands on the ground, it's like, riddles? Did someone say riddles? Oh boy, riddles are the best thing. They're my favorite. And I bounce right down in front of him and plop down with black and white and red all over. Uh, the newspaper. <laughs> nope. A penguin just got into a can of paint. That's a, a much milder way than I was expecting that to go. So I'm, <laughs> thank you. Anyway, if you want to get past this door, you got to answer my riddle. Oh, cool. I'm actually with Tigger on this one. I like riddles. Hmm, yes. I, um, I like that you both like riddles, yes. Well, if you have a bee in your hand, what do you have in your eye? Uh, an oyster. Nope, that's one wrong answer. And he smacks a button on the ground and a red light appears above the doorway. And you see there are two other lights that are unlit. Oh no, everybody, I've seen this before. This is some kind of talent show. And if we get all three wrong, we'll be asked to leave without <laughs> being able to plug ourselves. <laughs> nice. Sorry, Ned, you said a bee, like a buzzing bee. He said, if you have a bee in your hand, what do you have in your eye? It's not an oyster. I'm gonna frustratingly just stare at my dingo hopper for a minute, see if I can pontificate with that. <laughs> Thomas the player is frantically searching his brain for something like this. Connor the player knows it, but Connor the player doesn't want to make it too easy on it. <laughs> I appreciate that, Connor the player. I'll give you a fate point for that. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I think Thomas the player is also two fries short of a happy meal in this instance. <laughs> Caleb the player is too. Okay, well, I'm gonna be staring into my dingle hopper a bunch and then see like myself in a funny kind of like discontorted reflection and say, beauty. And the gargoyle leaps up in excitement and says, 
That is true. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Oh. Oh, I knew that one. <laughs> of course I knew it. That's not an old one. You can't trick me with those old ones oh, like that. That's clever. I just thought I looked good today, but cool. Yeah, and so the imp slams a different button on the ground, and the second light shines green, and the doorway, you hear a big old click as it unlocks, and the doors begin to slide apart, showing another tunnel on the other side. Well, we gotta take the gargoyle with us, obviously. Okay, and I go to grab for him. All right, and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't even try to escape. He's like, wait, I, I, can, I can leave this place? Yeah, can you read? Uh, no, I've just been in this cave my entire life, seeing shadows on the wall, as it were. Uh, I'm pretty sure that, was it Plato who said something about that? Anyway, I'm getting too philosophical. I think it was Plato, yeah. Yeah, let's get him out of the cave. I've never left this cave, so I didn't know it was possible to leave the cave, so I think it'd be awesome if I could go with you guys. Yeah, well, you can't read, so you're not, like, hmm. You don't check that box, but we can probably find something to use you for. Immediate regret. <laughs> <laughs> Come check out the shadow in the other cave. Yeah, that sounds like a fun time. And he uh, hops up onto the top of Moby Dick's top hat. <laughs> yes. And uh, gets ready for the ride. Excellent. And with that extra ornamentation on my hat, I puff up a little bit more, I pick up my walking king, and I follow after. All right. So you continue down the tunnel and go ahead and roll to overcome with clever. I have a plus one on that. Mm, difficulty was two. <gasps> oh no. You step down and you feel the block move beneath your fin and you hear a clicking noise. Now I need you to roll to defend with quick. Okay, okay. Um, I would like to use a fate point to re-roll because that was <laughs> not great. Um, and I'm going to invoke my aspect I like to show off. So I hear clicking and I start just like moving because I don't know what exactly is going to happen. <laughs> but then it clicks and goes, oh, wait, the thing on the ground is what moved. So I'd like to invoke, re-roll that if possible. Yeah, for a second, it almost sounds like the shutter of a camera, which you're very familiar with. <laughs> but then it all clicks into place. Ah, well, same roll. So that's a, oh no, different roll, uh, plus two. Plus two, so you have tied so you jump backwards just in time to avoid a dart as it goes flying right past your snout. And you can see all down the section of the tunnel in front of you, darts just shooting out of holes in the walls. And as you step off of that pressure plate, the darts stop. Oh my. Well, that wasn't very smart of them to do it that way because if you step on a pressure plate and it stops as soon as you passed it, then none of the darts are going to hit you. Everybody's just going to know. You got a point, Tigger. I wonder if anybody learned that the hard way while designing this. <laughs> we take a while and just like talk about how genius of a trap this was, but like it also probably wasn't that well designed if it missed Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't it the broadside of a barn? <laughs> I will bounce straight ahead, uh, sure that the danger is gone. All right, you leap over the pressure plate, and as you land on the other side of the pressure plate, you land on another pressure plate. No! And I need you to roll to defend with quick. We don't die. I'm sure it's all right. See, I told you, nothing is... Whoa! That's a plus three. Yep, and you like leap up out of the way and you grab onto like a stalactite that's hanging down from the ceiling as all of the darts go flying past underneath you. Okay, all right, there's other ones. Booby traps, you can booby a tigger once, but you can't make him drink. 
I like that saying a lot. That was like the most triggered thing I was said tonight. <laughs> hey, can we? Hey, gargoyle, you wanna uh, you wanna earn uh, earn your steps today? Yeah, totally. Cool, man. Maybe I'll finally hatch that 10k egg I've been working on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, why don't you actually lead the way for a little bit? We'll be about 15 to 25 feet behind you. Sweet. <laughs> and the gargoyle flaps its little stone wings and flies over the pressure plates and uh, <laughs> continues heading down the tunnel. All right, touche. So if we can fly, then we'll be all right. Yeah, he's got that part figured out. Yeah, well, let's just keep on chugging along, I guess. Keep on swimming, as my aunt always says. <laughs> yeah, so if you guys want to try and just sprint your way through as fast as possible, you can all roll to overcome with quick to try and dodge all of the plates. Or if you want to try and find another way around, then you can try and overcome with clever. I've got an idea here. I think it's time to pull out a stunt. Oh, stunt them. I'm going to use the world's bestest bouncer and bounce and ricochet my way around the room and disable any traps that are there. Just rattle them completely <laughs> loose. Yeah. All right, yeah. Crossfire. You get caught up in the crossfire. <laughs> and um, uh, it's invaded both of our podcasts. But I'm not mad about it. <laughs> so, yeah, you start just bing, 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 like a pinball bouncing around all of the walls. And, like, as you're slamming into the holes that the darts come out of, you see bits of the wall crumbling away and various bits and mechanisms inside the walls. You hear, like, these big old clangs and cracks and snaps and pings and sprungs and whatnot. And by the time you land, you land exactly on one of those pressure plates, but uh, nothing happens. All right, there you go. Hey, Tigger, that was like some Keanu Reeves stuff. <laughs> Tigger, you have quite a talent. Have you ever thought about going to at least off-Broadway? I mean, you have quite a future ahead of you if you ever leave this hundred-acre wood. <laughs> Shucks. Thanks, guys. Maybe I'll think about it now, but uh, for now, let's get in there. All the traps have been unboobied. Murder the evil guys. I, I would like to follow Tigger. I'd like to follow him with how impressive and confident he was from that whole stunt there. Yeah, that was some George Washington stuff. <laughs> I think that's what he did. <laughs> Yeah, and as you guys continue along this tunnel, you eventually see there's a light beginning to appear at the other end. And from that light, you can hear the sound of conversation and stringed instruments and whatnot. I, I pause, I hold out my fin and just cover everybody for a minute. Do I hear singing? You hear a little bit of singing, yeah, uh, coming from in there. It's kind of interspersed singing, as though perhaps your friend, the Phantom of the Opera, is currently conversing with somebody. All right. Sounds like the other person doesn't commit as much to the singing as you did back there. I'm just trying to figure out how we all could... Do we all want to enter in together? And Should I go ahead? Should I... Uh, do we want to surprise everybody? I mean, I want to give... I want to give Ari as much of an opportunity to stab as many people as possible. I like that. Thank you. Stealth mission. Yeah, stealth mission. Also, the main one is just the main, whoever's the in charge one, he's getting the dingle hopper right up, right up where the sun, um, uh, where, part of your world. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean right in the jugular? Yeah. <laughs> right in the jugular. <laughs> so with that in mind, I go, all right, I've been saving these, and I think now's the time. 
And I'd like to pull out two other masquerade ball masks. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a couple spares. You'll always have to. They're, they're a little large, though, because they're they're for me. Mm-hmm. So they're not like s- s- shaped for your small sizes. E- so. hey, even better, honestly. I'll hold it up like this. Both hands. <laughs> Just covering your entire person. <laughs> My whole torso. <laughs> I go, I believe this can get us in stealthy and all. I feel really mysterious, honestly. All right, so you guys continue along this hallway and eventually you make it to that final archway. And on the other side, you can see there is this lovely kind of dance hall built out of black marble with nice staircases going up to sort of a balcony level. There are tables all around the place. There's a little stage off to one side with an orchestra of skeletons playing a nice bit of like parlor music for you guys. Uh, there's a couple people dancing here and there, but most of the people are just milling about, conversing, uh, crunching on crudités and hors d'oeuvres and whatnot. And as you look around, you see that everybody is wearing name tags just for convenience sake. <laughs> and you do, in fact, see Captain Ahab and Dr. Frankenstein in one of the corners kind of chatting together. Oh, no. Uh, you look in one of the other corners and you see two people. Their name tags are James Moriarty and Jack Willoughby. Oh, oh no! Not, <laughs> not so Willoughby. And well, like on the on the corner of that group, like trying to bust his way into the conversation, is Mr. Collins. Please tell me that John <laughs> Thorpe is somewhere around here. Uh, he's busy in the pump room at the moment. <laughs> That's a very obscure Northanger Abbey reference for all of our hardcore Jane Austen fans. Oh, Ned and I. Yeah, we've got a history with that play. Oh, so good. Um, and you see your singing friend, the Phantom of the Opera, is talking with uh, a very interesting looking individual. He's floating a little bit off the ground, wearing kind of a black unitard, white gloves and boots, and what looks like a white sack over his head. And he's got a rope in his hand, and tied in the rope, also floating off the ground, are what looks like a bunch of children from a summer camp or something. And you see the name tag on his chest says Candlejack, And the phantom is like, and you said your name was, and he looks down at the name tag. And one of the kids says, don't say his name. That's how he gets you. And Candlejack is like, darn it all. That's a freakazoid villain for uh, the Mm. uninitiated. (laughs) But yeah, they're all just kind of milling about, enjoying the pleasant air, this high sophisticated life sort of atmosphere here. And above the hubbub of this conversation and all of these pleasantries that are going on and whatnot, you hear a clinking noise coming from that upper balcony. And you see a figure in the back of the shadows begin stepping forward and everybody goes silent. And as the hand holding the glass comes into the light from the chandeliers, you see it is full of a very dark red liquid. And the individual steps forward into the light of the candles and you can see the very pale face, the slicked back black hair, and the unnaturally large pair of canine teeth coming out of the front. And he looks around and says, Good evening, all of my friends. I am so glad that you could join us here in my lair. <laughs> Soon, all of the literary worms will be ours, and there is nobody who can stop us. And all of the villains around the room begin clapping and applauding. And Freakazoid looks around at all of you guys and says, I don't know about you guys, but I think we're about to get into a finale. (laughs) And he looks at the camera with a grimace on his face and Iris wipe. 
And that is going to conclude today's episode of Improv Tabletop. <laughs> it was the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> Maybe. You know, I, I like your enthusiasm. I like your enthusiasm, Tigger. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to our show today. We'll be back next week with our thrilling conclusion in the world of the illiterates. If you want more, go ahead and subscribe. Maybe even give us a review. We would be just as happy as the Phantom of the Opera would have been if Christine hadn't dumped him. Uh, if you would go <laughs> ahead and give us a positive review on the podcatcher of your choice. We are also all over social with the handle at Improv Tabletop, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And if you'd like to suggest either a setting for us to play in or an aspect for one of our characters to use, go ahead and either tweet about us or comment on one of our posts using hashtag ImpTab setting or hashtag ImpTab aspect. Let's do a round of plugs. As always, we've got our sister podcast, I Cast Fireball, that is going super well. And we had an episode called Crossfire. Uh, so if you want more nice nostalgic references, go check that out. And tonight, I'm not going to be plugging anything new, but I'm just going to do a few quick updates on some plugs past. First things first. Uh, Connor, I've done a lot of soul searching, and I know I said that peaches were my favorite fruit. I should have been more specific. Nectarines are my favorite mm. fruit, mm. in fact. Nice. Technically the same species, but distinct enough that I think it can heal the schism that has just drawn us apart. I think so, too. I feel like a band-aid has just been laid. Yes. <laughs> so that's update number one. Update number two, I found the Mountain Dew flavors, Baja Punch and Baja Flash. And they are not really anything to write home about, but oh. I do think they are better than most of the Mountain Dew flavors that have been coming out lately. <laughs> if you want a good pina colada flavor, just go for the Fanta instead of the Mountain Dew Flash. And then the final update on my Facebook memories, I discovered the day that I was enlightened to the joy of tonic water. It was August 31st, 2012. So from here on out, August 31st is Tonic Water Enlightenment Day. Tell your friends. <laughs> Connor, you got anything you'd like to plug? Ooh, yeah. I'm going to also talk about fruit. Been getting a lot more of them uh, organic little goodies back in my diet. Uh, and that includes plums, which I had for the first time and I don't know how long yesterday. Turns out I'm a little bit allergic. Um, <laughs> because after I ate my plums, I was like, why is my throat so itchy and why is my stomach so itchy? And I assumed it was plums. <laughs> so all this to say, plums are good. But if you're allergic to them, don't eat the plums. But if you're not allergic to plums, eat some plums. Yeah. Like we've said before, droops are the bomb. Darn straight. Sometimes they're the bomb to your stomach. <laughs> but other times they're the bomb to your taste buds. <laughs> Caleb, you got anything that you'd like to plug? I will also just go with a little update plug. Um, I've got two audiobooks currently on Audible and Apple and the other one. Yeah, you know. Where you can listen to audiobooks, I'm on there. I've got a couple working hard on number three right now, which is the sequel to the last one that I did. Mm. Go check out Wayne Grant, uh, the author, and his historical fiction novels because they're fun. And I have started doing some narration for him now. So check him out. And that's my plug. Right on. Thomas, you got anything you'd like to plug? 
As always, I cast Fireball. It's a super fun podcast that I enjoy recording, so hopefully you'll enjoy it too. Uh, but I would also like to plug Caleb's work as well. It's really fun to listen to him. He's really great. Obviously, he's really great with voices, um, as we've discovered from the illiterates. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> but I would also like to plug just candy. There's a lot of fruit going around, and uh, I just feel like candy's getting left out. So Somebody had to say it. Yeah, pop a little Smarty, cup a little Sour Pouch Kid. I mean, Kit Kat, mm. doesn't take much. Candy, everybody. Rots your teeth. <laughs> Son of a dentist. <laughs> and with that perfect bookend, thanks so much for joining us here in the world of the illiterates. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and I've been joined by... Connor Wood, psionic engineer investor. Caleb Anderton, future homesteader. Thomas, the cavity-filled machine. <laughs> <laughs> Much love and stuff, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Improv Tabletop. Mm-hmm.